Good morning, all. And I want to add my greetings to Laurel's and give it a special thank you for those who've made the effort to drag yourself out of bed uh, on the day after New Year's Eve uh, or inside on, on a perfectly beautiful skiing day. Uh, because I think there's a real importance in marking this transition. Uh, anyway, this, this day symbolically given to transition in a year upcoming that we know is going to be heavy with transition. So it's good to have this spiritual force gathered here, and we do have some work to do together. Please don't think about what we're going to be doing today so much in terms of spiritual entertainment uh, as in terms of gathering the energy of our hearts and our beings uh, to be a presence in this planet, a presence in the lineage and in the stream uh, of the path of compassionate love that we stand for. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, you're going to begin to notice that if there's one theme that's running through the day, it's the theme of expansiveness or spaciousness. And we're going to run right through that uh, because I think that... Uh, it's at this depth, at a greatly expanded universe, that we're going to find the hope, the strength, the reinforcement, and the courage to really lead and witness at a planet that needs spiritual presence. So we're going to be expanding our hearts and our minds and even our geographical vista today, uh, beginning right up. Uh, you, some of you came two weeks ago. You heard probably the beautiful traditional series, Service of Lessons and Carols. How many of you were here for that? Yeah, quite a few. And of course, the traditional formula there is it tells in the lessons the story of the history of the planet from, from Adam and Eve to the birth of Christ. But of course, as we know now, uh, at, by the time we got around to the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, the planet was roughly already halfway through its 4.5 billion year journey as scientists calculate based on the, the energy still left in the sun, our, our energy thing. So we were already halfway through. What happened for the first 2.25 billion years? How does this fit in our story? So I've long thought that we should have a first lesson in the, uh, in the lessons and carols that actually celebrates the beginning of our planet. And so that's what we're going to do to open the service today. The, the lesson comes from Teilhard de Chardin, from his beautiful book, uh, The Human Phenomenon. Uh, the carol you will find of the Father's love begotten will just pick up that sense of cosmic vastness. And speaking of it, we welcome officially David Dyer to our organ and piano bench. Thanks for being here, David. It's great to work with you. So... Lesson one, imagine yourself back in King's College, Cambridge, and David Wilcox and the choiristers are all ready, and the first, the, first, ah, the first of the lesson readers steps up and reads, Some thousands of millions of years before this, not, it seems, through any regular process of stellar evolution, but as the result of some incredible chance, Stars brushing up against each other, rupture from within, 
a fragment of matter formed of particularly stable atoms broke away from the surface of the sun. Without cutting the ties, attaching it to the rest of things, and just at the right distance from the parent star to feel its radiation at moderate intensity, the fragment agglomerated, coiled in on itself, and took shape. One more star had just been born, this time a planet, imprisoning the human future within its globe and motion. Nevermore, nevermore. That, that is actually an old piece of Gregorian chant. It comes from the 12th century originally. So if you have that, ya-da-da-da-da-da, all those long things, it's because it's Gregorian chant originally. So uh, anyway, one of the things which Nicholas beautifully and helpfully introduced to the chapel was to begin the services with a time of meditation or spiritual preparation to get us here. It's a really good thing because when we really try to generate spiritual energy, you can't do it just with your mind. You have to bring your whole being here. So let's begin. I'm going to take you through a little bit of a being here meditation, uh, again working on the theme of spaciousness. So I invite you, first of all, to put your feet on the floor. Forget Everything except the fact that you're here, let it go. You can pick it up in about 50 minutes. Uh, And just, you're here, you're present, take a couple of deep breaths, and let everything that isn't here just sort of fall off your shoulders like snow off a roof. And now I ask you to bring your attention to your feet. Usually they're the the thing we can check at the hat rack when we come to worship. But press them down against the floor and let your attention fill them with sensation. Sometimes when you do that, they'll actually tingle alive with, thank you, we're here too. And feel them pressing down against the floor. And see if using that same power of attention and sensation, you can take them deeper. Five feet down. Ten feet down. A thousand feet down. Until they finally connect with... The rest of the the granite, the, the, the planet, the geology in this valley, the place where buttermilk and Taihak and all the mountains also have their base and are rising up. See if you can sense your way all the way down to that bedrock. And as those mountains begin to impact your feet, start to rise again by sensation and feel the weight of those great mountainous beings pressing down upon the earth. Feel the firmness, the solidity, the hereness. And then let yourself sense the vastness of the air 
the sheer geological expanse of the space between those mountains, filling up this bowl valley. And know that in that space and still in the elements of those mountains, in that air, are the primordial elements that exploded and agglomerated when our planet was formed. That in that is the stardust, the residue of the Big Bang. And that stardust is in you as part of your physical frame. You are part of the legacy of 14 billion years of the universe story, 4.5 billion years of the Earth story. And that lives in you as part of your physical being. You belong here. You are indigenous. You're a part of this story. And let that whole vastness and that whole lineage and time and space anchor you and hold you. As I recite what's known in the tradition, the collect for purity. O love divine, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. And see if you can hold on to that sensation in your feet and that sensation of vastness as we read what is the traditional gospel for the first Sunday after Christmas, the magnificent cosmic words from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The word of the Lord. So as you've noticed, uh, I'm really trying to play the cosmic theme today, to stretch our sense of time and in space, the immense canopy that we're playing on as far as possible uh, over the course of the whole 14 billion year history and scope of the universe story. Because I believe that it's from that perspective and perhaps only from that perspective, that we can find what's most needed in our world as we enter this new year uh, with deep hope and with an assurance that this hope is not in vain. It's written into deep time, this hope, into deep space. So some of you, those of you who have found the way to my blog site and follow it, uh, may know that Election Day, or the eve of Election Day this year, November 7th, uh, 2016, uh, found me in the UK, in the west of England, where I've been doing a week of, of teaching, launching the Centering Prayer Material, like I did at the chapel yesterday. And we'd arranged for a day of sightseeing. And so on the 7th of November, we took off to look at the, uh, the thin places and holy spots uh, in the Welsh countryside just north of Bristol. And it was just about sunset as we came around a river bend in the Wye Valley. And there all of a sudden was Tintern Abbey. Well, I know it about Tintern Abbey. I mean, everybody who takes British Lit in high school knows about Tintern Abbey because Wordsworth wrote some lines above it, right? But I'd never seen it before, and I knew nothing of the backstory. And I, so I quickly discovered the backstory there, that it was a Cistercian monastery. That's the, uh, that's the same order, basically, as our monks over the hill in Snowmass. It's a reform of the Benedictine order, a, a place of strict silence and prayer and spiritual work. And it was founded in the 12th century, did really awesome spiritual work, for about uh, four centuries, and then fell victim to Henry VIII's dissolution of the Monasteries Act in 1536. Uh, Cromwell's ban fell upon it, sacked the place, carried off some of the monks, murdered others, uh, took off the roof, and basically destroyed the outer structure. And there it stood. Vines grew over it. Uh, Wordsworth found it as a sort of mystical Gothic Druidic palace. Uh, and when I got there, I was stunned. I looked at it, and when we came through the space, I realized, you know, I can still smell the Cistercian feeling here. There's a definite ambience. There's a sort of feminine roundness, wisdom, cleanness. And I could feel that even after that bitter destruction, there was something still gathered there. And it began to draw me. It began to pull me until finally I found myself right at the what would have been the foot of the high altar 
500 years ago, still with the remains of an open window above me. And the next thing I know, I was on my knees and then on my face, and time disappeared. And when I got up again and began to reconstruct what had happened, uh, I knew with absolute certainty how the election was going to turn out. Uh, There was no doubt in my mind what was happening. But along with that came two very, very strong messages from these walls. The first one was, uh, this happens in the human story. The fact that there is the good, the true, and the beautiful is no guarantee against periodic uh, eruptions that take the whole thing down. This has happened over and over and over again in the human story. It's only we who've lived in a bubble for the past 70 years. So there was that sad sort of, this happens. This is part of the human story. Deal. But second was the thing, but look, something called you. Something remains. The good, the true, the beautiful, the work that is done, the work of value, of spiritual openness remains and still has the power to reconfigure, to call, to heal, to speak eloquently. So it was with those two messages that I came back to the States. I flew home on election day. And they've basically framed my sense of what's happened ever since. Uh, So I think I can do this without straying into politics because it's not my intention to talk politics today, but to try to stay with with sociology. But I think it, it doesn't stray into politics to say that one of the most powerful things that's, that's been an outcome of this election is that it really represents a powerful rebuff of what are so many of the liberal progressive value system sacred cows. Inclusivity, multiculturalism, gender identity, ecological sustainability, uh, uh, radical universal compassion for the most poor and the most marginalized seem to be under at least passive, if not active, threat. And to the extent that many of us in liberal sort of political places like this one stand for those values and have been guided by those values, there is a deep sense of grief and disorientation. What happened? And now what do we do? And and I find that many of my friends who are working in liberal, who have worked in liberal social causes for years, are disoriented and despairing. How did this happen? What do we do now? We're going to see the, the deconstruction of, of, of right. Consciousness is taking a step backward. And in my BuzzFeed and the websites, there's all sorts of talk of the Kali, the Kali Yuga, the time of darkness, or, and comparisons with, uh, Germany in the 1930s. I have to say, I think this is not helpful in any way whatsoever. Uh, It creates what uh, Valentine Tomberg calls in Meditations on the the Tarot an egregory. That is to be a psychic entity that begins to gather force because, because people feed energy into it. 
And if we feed energy into the image that this is a monstrous age, a dark age, a, a reversion to primitive uh, upheavals, we are not only going to be unable to help what's happening in our time, we're going to be unable to see in a deeper way where the hope lies and what we must do. So what is needed, I think, is not not fear and falling on our swords, not laments, not grief, but deeper and broader vision. And it's a kind of vision which unfortunately is not going to be easily accessible to the liberal intellectual establishment which has guided the talk in our time because it's vision of a much more spiritual nature, a lot of which is only made possible by regular and faithful spiritual practice. Meditation, Lexio Divina, the work, yoga, transformation that opens up a different path of insight. But from that perspective, a different window of opportunity begins to present itself. So one of the reasons that I've brought Teilhard de Chardin into this conversation today is because I believe that he offers us a model and a reservoir of deep hope, a perspective that can allow us to come together and stand with joy and confidence. Teilhard, as many of you know, was a Jesuit priest, scientist, and mystic uh, who lived in the first half of the century uh, and was uh, was famous, equally famous as a paleontologist and as a Christian mystic. We studied him here about a year ago. I've been teaching people this throughout the, the year. Uh, so he is the first person to really paste a Christian mystical vision on a 14 billion year evolutionary canvas. And what's interesting about it is that the the proportions still fall correctly. So it's a fascinating and hopeful journey. Essentially, Teilhard sees the entire 14 billion years of our universe story as, and I quote, a rising tide of consciousness carried on evolution. In his take, to do this really, really simply, we start with atomized, you know, consciousness is seeded into the universe as a kind of fourth dimension, but it's all pulverized and isolated and separated, and so it doesn't, it doesn't have any force. But over the course of evolution, things come together to form units. Elementary particles form atoms. Atoms form molecules. Out of the molecules and the polymer chain come cells, Cells carry life, and we have more and more complex plants and animal forms, till in human beings we see self-reflective consciousness, evolution aware of itself. So over 14 billion years, things have come together to form more powerful organic vehicles of consciousness that allows consciousness to manifest more and more brightly. And it's never gone back. In fact, at that time where the Adam and Eve story hits, we've crossed in Teilhard's version a midpoint to a place where we're actively being drawn through the Christic presence to the fullest emergence of evolution as universal compassion and love. 
And what is really on our plates at the next stage, says Teilhard, is to form collectively the next organic body of humanity. That based on our one organic oneness, just like a cell uh, forms a human being, we can manifest as a human race yet greater depths of compassion, consciousness, coherence, forbearance. We can truly show forth and bring forth what the heart of God is like. This hidden treasure that longed to be known, as the Sufis said, so it created the planets. That's Teilhard's vision. Pretty helpful. And what's interesting about it is that this is not Pollyanna. His vision of the universal oneness of humankind first came to him in the trenches of World War I, surrounded by the carnage as he served as a stretcher bearer. And it was after World War II when he was finally released from exile in communist China to come home with Europe still quivering in the wake of the Holocaust and the atom bomb. That he pointed out that deep hope runs over deep time. That, uh, that he said, yeah, you know, evolution was chugging along for 10,000 years. We were right on the edge of giving birth to a whole new form of consciousness and da-da, ice age. But 10,000 years later, it picked itself up again, and immediately after that, we see human beings, forms that are, that are, that are using fire and making tools. It's like there is a cosmic purposiveness, a cosmic intelligence that's built in that meets us that carries us, and that if we cannot hold up too tightly and not measure meaning in decades or even centuries, we can find the current and flow with it. So that's the message that comes from Teilhard. Interestingly enough, just a footnote, uh, some of you are already reading a kind of private paper that's circulating around from Ken Wilber, that's a 90-page Ken Wilber contribution on, on the election as seen from levels of consciousness. And it's very interesting. I won't recap 90 pages. But his bottom line is that is very much like Teilhard's, that this is a correction. And that seen from, from the level of evolution, what happened is that the leading edge of evolution, what they call in color code green, got off track wandered into nihilism and narcissism, uh, impacted political correctness, victim consciousness, at a kind of funky uh, egalitarianism that, couldn't, that had to throw out all hierarchy because it couldn't see that there needed to be some forms of organization. Anyway, it got impacted. The, the election Teilhard sees is a rising up of a, or not Teilhard, Wilbur, of a necessary corrective, and that it will move on, and that consciousness has not been diminished. It's been readjusted. And we're going to be part of that readjustment in the next period, certainly in the next four to eight years. So, very important. Some of you will be reading that paper and discussing it, so I just wanted to give you a a heads up. It's good. But what this really means, and where Ken goes, and where I'm I'm standing too, is that 
where the real kind of creation and evolutionary movement is going to pick up at the thread is not by just correcting the intellectual level at the, at the, at its own level, but a real infusion and energy and vision from people that are beginning to move to what you call the integral and non-dual levels who are already thinking and seeing from the basis of universal wholeness. I like to say that the difference in these levels is that green says coexist. Integral says coalesce. Let's form this body. Let's become one humanity, one planetary species. Uh, Let's learn how to do it. Let's organize our hearts and our souls so much from the inside that we can collectively bear forth a quality of beauty, goodness, power, and strength that resembles the heart of God and that profoundly honors consciousness in the next era. We could do this, but what it means for people of goodwill and progressive value is to continue to do the work we're doing with more conviction and more sense of universality. Continue with the meditation, with the spiritual practice, Continue serenely to be planetary citizens, to fly the earth flag, to understand that we are coming into oneness and to live out of that oneness and minister out of that oneness. Uh, so that, that, I think, is our task, to stay course, to stay the course, to be gentle, to be open, and above all, to do the work that you need to do personally in your own being, uh, to go deep in mystical practice. Because the hope coming up to meet us is no longer a kind of secular hope based on worldwide progress. It's a spiritual forming of a new container to hold the face and the heart of divine love. That's holy work. And that's work we can give ourselves to that, that will have some bearing on the planet. No work is wasted. And we are receiving help, not only from the depth of the planetary history rising up like those mountains to hold us, but from the world of those gone beyond, the saints, the holy ones, those that watch over our planet. And if we can keep a heart that's clear enough to pull them in, and make a conveyor belt. Our energy, even in small groups, will hold this planet on course as it goes through this necessary transition. So that's my words of hope and of my call to order in the new year. Let's get working. Let's get moving. Let's share the joy. Let's share the good news of our human beingness. And as we move through the last two parts of the service, you're going to hear as the offertory, David's going to play us uh, a wonderful carol called uh, Walking on the Air. And you may, you may have sung it. It's one of the carols that Susan often puts in the lessons and carol service. He's playing a musical version of it. But the words are really cool. We're walking in the air. We're floating in the sky so high. It imagines a sort of imaginary sleigh ride with two lovers over the face of creation. But imagine yourself as you listen to the music and, and grapple for your pocketbook. Uh, imagine yourself uh, just 
looking out like Neil Armstrong at beautiful blue earth, feeling the oneness, feeling the vastness, riding like Job when God gives him this tour of the wonders of it. So allow this music to carry you to that spaciousness again. Maybe as you look down, you can even see Tenter and Abbey. <laughs> okay, thank you.